0: To challenge, I'm glad you guys are here. Let me um, let me do something as we get started tonight. Uh, How many of you um, oftentimes think about like somebody? You think, oh, good night. I ought to have uh, I ought to thank them for that, or I should have talked to them about that, or you know I should have have told them how I appreciated that. Anybody ever have that thought right here? Most of you are ungrateful people, right? So uh, okay, that's what I thought. Now you have had that thought. Well, that you're going to have an opportunity right now. What I'd like you to do is for about the next two or three minutes, you look around. And you find somebody that you think, you know, I I need to do that. I've been waiting to do that for about six months now. So you go do that. You go have that conversation. Now, if you're new and you think, I don't even know these people. I'm not grateful for them. Well, that's okay. You can follow somebody around that is grateful and you can find out how to do that. So you'll be in good shape. Just say, hi, I'm just tagging along because I'm not grateful. But I will be someday. And so uh, go find somebody right now. We'll join back in a second. Jump, go. Okay, let me call us back in here. Ah, there we are. We're gathering back. Some of you people are deeply encouraged now. You've uh, found somebody that was thankful. I'll be encouraged by that. That's a good thing. Um, You know, Earlier this week, I was looking through a file folder I had at home. In fact, if you don't have one of these, I'd encourage you to get that. Um, but what I, what I did was, uh, a number of years ago, friends of mine were telling me one day, they said, you know, um, just with the way life is and with the way that, you know, um, ministry is a lot of times, they said, you know, one of the things you ought to do, you ought to have a file, just like label it like encouragements or something like that. And then when somebody writes you, then take it and put it in there, because there's going to come a lot of days where you're going to think, good night, I'm not, you know, encouraged today, or, you know, boy, I really need some help over here, I need some perspective over here, I need this, or I need that, and I so said, if you'll get a file, then you can put those in there, and then there's going to be days where you can just pull that file out and think, it hasn't always been this bad. You know, and you can kind of read through that, and then you think it won't always be this, but you can kind of read through, and I thought, yeah, is that a good idea? And I thought, ah, I will, so I did, and you know, uh, one file became several, and and so I, I I've got those there, and I'll tell you what, it's it's one of the um, very encouraging things. As I'll I'll go back today, I was I was flipping through uh, some of the letters and just letters from. Some folks who, who uh, aren't around anymore, I mean, like they've died. And then some folks uh, that have graduated, and then some folks that, you know, are dear friends, some from family, some from alums, some from, uh, some from uh, friends that I've had for years and years and years. But they were words that, as I read some of those, you know, you read the words, and the words deeply, deeply encourage you. And I thought, you know what, that's because letters are personal. And that's so wise of God that like one-third of the New Testament that we have is really letters. It's letters that people wrote where they set before the readers the significance and the implications of being in Christ. And they begin to show them, you know, guys, this is the difference Christ makes, and this is the difference he can make in your life. Now, sometimes in the normal just struggles of life, you need help. Sometimes you need encouragement. Sometimes you need correction. And sometimes the very thing that will do that for you is a letter. And so what we're going to do here as we get started tonight is we're going to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote the Philippians. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks. And it's probably the most tender, uh, kind of the sweetest letter that you see Paul ever write. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of correction in it really at all. It's really more of, of a, you know, a, a letter of deep affection, a love letter of sorts that he writes to them. It's one in which he talks a lot about, you know, there's a lot of expressions of praise, of confidence, of rejoicing. But one of the things you see is when you read the letter to the Philippians, it really begins to show the heart of the Apostle Paul. A lot of times, people think of Paul, and they think, man, he's this intense, he's this aggressive guy, he's this focused guy, and those things are true. He is, he's intense, he's focused, but when you begin to look into the letter, you begin to see here is a guy who deeply, deeply loves Christ, and here is a guy who deeply loves people, and here is a guy who deeply loves the ministry that God has called him to. And so when you look at it, it'll really help you. It's, it's no wonder that when people got around Paul and they got to know him, they deeply loved him. If you read through the letters of the New Testament, whether it's in the book of Acts, whether it's if you read over into the letters like Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians and stuff, one of the things that, that you'll see over and over is just the affection Paul has for these people, First Thessalonians, and, and the deep affection they have in return for him. In fact, um, Philippians is one of the favorite books of many Christians as they read that. And there's good reason for that. Honestly, when I think of the book of Philippians, I think of the letter to the Philippians. I think of, you know, kind of like the mental health letter of the Bible. You know, if, if you want good mental health, if you want to figure out, you know, how do you have good mental health? Well, go to the book of Philippians. Begin to put into practice the things you see modeled there by Paul and by the whole congregation there of the philippians begin to put those things into practice and it'll make a huge huge difference in your life so so what i'd like to do tonight in the time we have is i'd like to kind of introduce the book to you and i'd I'd like you to begin to kind of see the backdrop in which the next four weeks that we'll be sharing come out of so um the philippian church was one of paul's favorites and 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 you're going to find that over the years as you um as you live more life, as you grow older, you're going to find there are some people you visit because you want to, not because you have to. You know, you want to go visit. In fact, you get around them because when you walk away from them, you walk away more encouraged. You walk away with a feeling of, you know what? I, I not only can do better, I want to do better. I, I want to be better. I, I, I want to be who these people treat me like, you know, and and there's going to be those people, you know, these were people like that in the life of Paul. Now, why, why was he so close to them? Well, part of it was their responsiveness to the gospel, and part of it was their responsiveness to him. I mean, part of it was their love and care that they gave to him. Part of it was the love and care they gave to others. Many times what you see is the Philippian church is one of the first churches to step up and and to really try to meet the needs in the life of the Apostle Paul, you also see that when there's uh, things, and we'll look at this a little bit later. But you know, when there's a great famine that goes through, and, and the um, saints that are in Jerusalem are trying, they're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. You know, and I mean, they're so broke they can't even pay attention. And what happens is, you know, the Philippians lead out in in sending resources and in sending money to help take care of them and to help move it forward. So. So we'll look at that. So let's, let's start off. Let's look at the city, the city of Philippi. Um, it has a really interesting history, if you look at it. It used to be like a gold mining town. It was uh, actually silver mines as well. But, I mean, it was this gold mining town. Where it's located, it's located right at this, uh, where the, along the Ignatian Way, which is one of these uh, highways that people traveled on. And it's located right there. It was a very fertile place. I mean, like, with the rivers that flowed through it and stuff like that so crops were plentiful Um, you know the gold and the silver were plentiful it was a key military place and so Philip of Macedon this guy who was the father of Alexander the Great he saw the importance of the spot militarily and so he decided to name the place after himself because after all if it's a great place it ought to be named after me so that's what he did so he named it Philippi and you know the city just kind of existed pretty much in obscurity for about two centuries until there was a famous battle in uh, 42 B.C. The Roman forces of Antony and Octavian defeated the Greek army of Brutus and Cassius in Philippi, and the Roman Empire was born. And so Philippi was this key, key place right then. It was, uh, it was known as the Little Rome. In fact, it was so much like Rome that many of the military officers, there was a lot of military folks that were there because of its place. And so many of them, they enjoyed the place, so they just stayed there instead of going back to Italy. They just stayed right there in Philippi because it was just like a little miniature Rome. And so they loved staying there. So what you see is um, it was also a place that, that... there wasn't a large Jewish population. Now part of that was because it was so occupied by Rome and the two of them did not tend to get along greatly. But we know it was really small because you had to have 10 um, heads of household, 10 men, in order to have a synagogue and they didn't have a synagogue. So they didn't even have that many. So what you found is that uh, often instead the people would gather down by this river and they would pray and stuff. And so that's that's kind of how it got started. Now, Paul's entrance into the city, when you look at it, it kind of has God's fingerprints all over it. I mean, you look, and Paul starts off, this is, this. Is, he's already been on one journey. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find Paul's gone on this one missionary journey to start with, and he goes with Barnabas, and they take John Mark along with him for a while, who flakes out because he wants to go see Grandma or something, and And so, you know, he's running around uh, with Barnabas, and they get back, and then when they're uh, there, they've gone up to Jerusalem, and they're visiting there, and then they decide they're going to go again on another journey. And as they do, you know, Barnabas says, I think we ought to take John Mark, and Paul says, that is not happening. And he's like, what? I like John Mark. He goes, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, he left us the first time. We're not going to take him. So they have this big dispute. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes one way. Paul takes a guy named Silas, and they go another way. And they backtrack and visit many of the people that they did in the first missionary journey. But as they go along, they go back to Lystra. And when they go back to Lystra, Paul picks up Timothy, who was one of the guys. Timothy's family had come to Christ when they would visited the first time, and Timothy had as well. And he'd really grown up some. And so Paul comes along, picks up Timothy. And he's talking to them about, let's go, you know, you can go with us on this journey. We're going to go and do ministry. So they, they had all these plans. They get to Troas, and when they get to Troas, they pick up Luke as well. And Luke joins them, and they're there. So let's look at one verse, uh, some verses right here in Acts 16, and you can begin to kind of get some of the flavor. In Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Now, Bithynia is like the modern-day Turkey. So he says, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them now we'll get back to Paul's story in just a minute but just an aside just for those of you um, that need to know if you ever want to know how a good team should function there's a real clue for you it's not how we tend to function in America in America it's kind of like now when Paul had seen this vision we said, well, if God shows me the vision, then I'll go too. But if he hadn't shown me the vision, you know, that's not what they say. What you'll see is this. They say, now, immediately when Paul had seen this vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, one of the things you find is God leads through leaders. And so, you know, if you see that, that's going to help you so much in your life. You know, you'll go to work for a company and your boss will say, you know, you need to do this or you need to do this. You're not going to go, my evaluation, and he's going to go, you know what? We're not paying you for an evaluation, you know, and you're going to find, you know what? Learning to follow is such a good thing because as you do, so much of God's will is accomplished in your life. So Paul and them, they move on. They go to They go into uh, Macedonia. When they land, when the ship lands, you know, they go rather quickly across the way. When they get there and the ship lands, they have to climb up this mountain, and they're going across this Ignatian Way, and they land in Philippi. Now, Paul's pattern, if you look in Scripture, Paul's pattern when he goes into a city normally, the very first thing he does, he goes to a synagogue. And the reason he does is these people have already had a couple of centuries of the Old Testament, so they're much more prepared to understand and respond to what he's talking about. So usually he goes to a synagogue first. In this case, there's not one. So Paul goes and looks for a place of prayer. And so he goes down by this river here. And so we'll see that here beginning in verse 13. And it says, On the Sabbath day, and she prevailed upon us. And so basically what you see is the the church in Philippi had its beginnings right there in Lydia's house. They, they began to meet there. Now, she was from, it says she was from Thyatira, which is a city that's over like in, in modern day Turkey. It's over in that area. And it says she was a seller of purple goods. One of the things you find if, if you look at that much is, you know, they had, um, usually when they, if people had these purple Outfit type things, you know, that the robes and stuff like that. If they had it, it was usually one of these things that was made from a, a kind of a snail, like a mur- mural snail or something like that. They would take this and they would make these, you know, boil them and stuff and make these purple garments. But not that's not how they did it in Thyatira. There, they learned to use this root, this matty root, and what they would do is they would, they found a much, much more um, inexpensive way to make these purple garments. And so then they began to go to these different cities. And what you find is that was her. She moved from Thyatira. She moved to Philippi. And when she did, she began to have this business where she was you know, selling all of these different goods to people. And God used Paul there in that city to help lead her to Christ. She was the very first one in Europe to come to Christ right there as, as Paul steps in and shares with her. So later, if you read in the story, what happens is Paul and Silas are walking around and there's a girl, there's a, a slave girl who um, her her masters, her owners are, are using her to tell people's fortunes and they make money off of it. You know, she's like a tarot card person or something. So she's going around and she's doing things with them, but she keeps yelling out when Paul and them come by, these are the guys who are telling everyone, and Paul's like, stop, you know, and she just keeps it up and finally Paul turns around and goes, you know, Come out of her, and so the demon leaves her, and the next thing you know, she can't tell fortunes, which does not make her owners very happy. So they don't like that. So they come in and they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them in, and they say, "These guys are—they're causing trouble." You know what they mean is they're costing us money. These guys are causing trouble, and you know they're—they're preaching sedition. So you need to get rid of them. So. All the magistrates, you can imagine, all of these Romans, all these soldiers that are there, the retired ones, the other ones, they're like, what? Sedition. We can't have that. So they take these guys, and they just beat the daylights out of them, and then they take them over and throw them into prison. And so we pick up on that, starting in verse 35, and it says, "And uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, starting in uh, 29. 29 is 20 a bad place to start, too. Let's start in 25, it says, they're in prison here. All right, they've been beaten. They've been thrown into prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which, of course. I mean, if you've just been beaten and thrown into prison, isn't that what you do? I mean, you know, they're they're singing praises and hymns, and the prisoners were listening. What else would you do? If uh, you're sitting there in chains, you know, you're listening. So, And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately All of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See, the deal was when they gave you prisoners to watch, if they got away, you paid with your life. But it was like hurtful on the way you were going to die. So... Oftentimes, if somebody lost a prisoner, they think, I'll just go ahead and kill myself because I'll be nicer. I'll make it quick, you know. And so that's what this guy was getting ready to do. But all of a sudden, Paul cries out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And that's one of those things you look at that you think, wow, we are all here. All of the guys. Now, most of the guys that are thrown into prison, it's not like you were jaywalking. We're throwing you into prison. No, these guys are in there because they have done things that they should not have done, and they're thrown into prison. And now, all of a sudden, there's this big commotion. All the doors are open. All the bonds are off. They can leave out this door, this door, this door. They all stick around. And you begin to wonder, why in the world would they do that? I think they'd seen something in the life of Paul And they'd seen something in the life of Silas that was so compelling. They're like, let's stick around and see how this goes. Good night. And so they do. Now the jailer starts in verse 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Mammy, I mean, if you look at Paul, I mean, what, what a night. And you start looking at, at the whole thing. First, Paul comes in, he speaks to Lydia. Now, she, she was a God-fearing uh, Jew, but, you know, she, she steps into the kingdom. Then he casts the demon out of this gal, and, you know, she's the next one that begins to follow. She's one that was a Greek gal. And so he starts with this Jew, then he reaches this Greek, and ultimately he reaches the very center of, of the people. He reaches this Roman guard who's in this thing. That's how the gospel tends to travel, you know, from the outer side, into the very center, and that's exactly what happened, and Paul does. And so it would have been fascinating to be there that night, to sit through that, to watch that, but the next morning comes, and this is what happens, says in verse 35, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. Now, you may think if you were Paul, you'd go, hot dogs. You know, Paul goes, nah. In fact, Paul says, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? Nah. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that. You know why they were afraid? They had no idea Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. I mean, you do not do that to Roman citizens. In fact, if you were a citizen, one of the things that was true, you could not be bound. That was against the law. You could not be imprisoned. You definitely could not be scourged unless you'd had a trial already and that had been you couldn't do that. And if any of those things did happen or they were getting ready to do any things, as a citizen, you had the right to appeal to Caesar, and you could step away from all of that. They found out these guys are Roman citizens, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Because, you see, if you treat a Roman citizen like that, then one of the things that's true is the punishment you've given them can now be given to you. And so these guys, as you see, are, are kind of like scared spitless, and so... They come in, and so they came and apologized to them. They took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. I'm sure it was like, please, pretty please, please with sugar on top. you know. And so they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. Now, Paul was there, Paul and Silas and them. They were there about three months, so about a semester. They were there about a semester. And then they head out. They leave Luke behind. Now, Luke had just joined them in Troas, and then he's come over there, and he's with them there. A lot of people have speculated, you know, that Philippi was probably Luke's hometown. We don't really know. Luke joins them again. On the third missionary journey, Paul will come through, and he'll visit Philippi twice. He'll visit it the first time when he's coming through, and he's taking up an offering for the uh, folks in Jerusalem. And then he'll come back by. when he comes back by, Luke joins him again, and he leaves with them and and visits with them. But Paul, you know, he um, it was about four or five years between the first visit and the second visit. But the thing that was true was the deep affection these people had for Paul, starting with like, you know, Lydia and and the demon-possessed girl and, and the jailer and spreading through all of the people that they came in contact with these people had a deep deep love for paul and they would they would send money to take care of paul to help him on his journeys like over and over and then they also were very generous with it with the giving to jerusalem so several years later when they hear that paul's been imprisoned in rome what they do is the the church in philippi again says hey let's send something to take care of in fact let's send one of our own guys, let's send Epaphroditus over there to go and help take care of Paul. And so that, that's exactly what they do. So about, about 10 years has passed between Paul's initial stepping into the town and you know, meeting folks, and he finds himself in this Roman prison. Now, Paul's there, he's chained with some people. He's living in this house, but he has to walk around chained to somebody else all the time, which when you hear Paul talk about it, he goes, this is great. <laughs> I've got a captive audience all the time, you know I mean? You know, it's like, I've got somebody to share with 24-7. I share with this guy, and that guy goes, next, you know, and, you know, they chain me to somebody else, and I'm like, let me talk to you about this for a while, you know, and so Paul is sharing with these guys right and left all the time. But he's also doing some other things. While he's there, he writes four different letters. He writes a letter to the Ephesians. He writes a letter to the Colossians. He writes a letter to a guy named Philemon. And then the last one he writes is this book, this letter to the Philippians. The first three, Paul uh, had those delivered by a guy named Tychicus. And the reason he did was those places are all relatively close to each other. But what he had planned to do was he had planned to send this last letter, this letter to the Philippians, home by Epaphroditus, who had come to take care of him. So why did Paul write? Why did Paul write these, this letter to him in the first place? Well, first one was to just thank them for their gift. He wanted to thank them. He wanted to let them know, hey, you know what? You guys did not have to do this. I am uber grateful, you know, so, so thankful for what you did. But he wanted to thank them for the assistance. He wanted to thank them for uh, sending Epaphroditus in the first place. The second reason, um, and, what, and actually even back on that, you know, the, the Philippians, if you looked at them, they were amazing in the way that they gave. In fact, Paul talks about this like in um, 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 9 a little bit. He talks about how generous they are because these were guys that, um, they weren't. They weren't exactly. They didn't get off on a great foot, like when you kind of wreck some guy's business when you first start the thing by casting, you know, demons out of their workers, and you know, then you know, you step in and you embarrass the magistrates, and they have to come, and you know, they didn't start off well. So a lot of the folks that were there, they didn't necessarily have a lot of means. They didn't necessarily have, you know, great wealth. But what you find is God, God, doesn't, uh, God doesn't do things like that. I mean, what you see with God is oftentimes most of his work is accomplished you know, by ordinary people like you and I as we just choose to sacrificially give. And that's exactly what these folks did. They just stepped in and sacrificially gave to Paul, sacrificially gave to the folks in Jerusalem, and God took care of it. The second reason Paul wrote them, though, he wanted to commend the work of Epaphroditus and he wanted to send him home. See, they had sent Epaphroditus there to care for Paul, but the problem was he became deathly ill, and Paul and them ended up caring for him. He nearly died. And so they're nursing back to health, and Paul writes them, and he, he recommends them, and he says, you know, he wants to send Epaphroditus back. He wants them to know he was a real blessing to me. He said, in fact, I was really worried because I thought if he dies, this would compound the sorrow that I could have he said i can't have that and he goes and i know it would compound it for you too because epaphroditus to him represented the philippian church and they were so so dear to him and so you know he wanted to send him back in fact one of the things paul tells them he says hold men like him in high regard hold men like him in high regard because this guy was willing to to sacrifice his life he was willing willing to risk his life so that he could supply to me the very things that you wanted him to do he said these are the kind of guys that ought to be honored so he takes him back there and then um the third reason he wrote he wanted to just encourage unity he you know there weren't like doctrinal problems with with the um, Philippian church it wasn't like it wasn't like Galatia it wasn't definitely wasn't like Corinth you know, it, it wasn't like some of those where, where you had to deal with things like that. It, the only thing there was like this personality rift, there were two women, one of them named Euodia, maybe that was part of the problem, um, but her name was Yodia, and another one was named Syntyche, and, you know, Paul's talking to them, and in Philippians 4, 2, he says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. And you look at that and you think, good night. Did you just call him out by name, Paul? Yeah, he did. But he could do that, and he could do that and not offend anybody. Because, you see, some of the very things we've just talked about. The Philippians practiced the very things that you're going to read about and hear about over the next several weeks in the book of Philippians. They practiced following well. They practiced, you know, being obedient to Christ. They practice centering their lives around Christ. They practice really walking with him. So Paul was able to say things like, you know, uh, hey, Yodia, Seneca, you guys work it out. Get along. Now see, you can kind of use that as a barometer of where you are sometimes. Like, you know, if I was here right now and I said, you know, um, hey, Sam, you and Nate, I mean, good night. work it out, stop, stop being that way, you know. You know, they'd be like, see, I know both of them, and they both know each other, and I know how they're committed, and they know my heart. And if I said that to them, you know what they'd say? You know, you're right, we need to work it out. Now, here's the other thing that would happen, and this is what you can find out about yourself. Some of you think, well, don't do that with me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because I know you too. And for some of you, it'd be like, I will never come back to a place where I have been called out. (laughs) I have no doubt about that. That's not so much a mark on being called out. That's a mark on maturity. See, Paul's able to talk to them. Paul's able to say, hey guys, that's not what Jesus would want. Grow up. Some of you, Wouldn't even have to be called out. You would say, I'm going to take an offense for Sam. Even though Sam didn't take an offense, I'm going to take an offense for him. And I'm going to get upset. Well, there again, that's another mark of high immaturity. You know, what you want to learn to do is you want to learn to walk with Jesus. You want to learn to really, you know, focus on him so much that when someone else is helping you to be more like him, you consider that a compliment not a problem and so you're ready to move forward in that lastly paul wrote them be on your guard against false teachers in fact in philippians 3 2 he says watch out for those dogs those men who do evil those mutilators of the flesh what he's really talking about there is back then there were these judaizers is what they were known as they were they were people that would come in they'd say it's okay to follow jesus as long as you follow all the law as well. And you do all the things that the Jews do, and you do this and that. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus. And so, you know, he he calls those people out and says, no, we're not going to do that. But what you see with Paul, Paul did not write Philippians in response to a crisis, um, not like he did with Galatians or Colossians or something. He wrote to express his appreciation and his affection for these believers, And one of the things you see, Paul begins most all of his letters in kind of a joyful way. Like if you read any one of his letters, like the first three, or four, I mean, it's like pretty joyful. The difference between that and the letter to the Philippians is joy permeates the whole letter. The entire letter from, from beginning to end is, you know, the joy that you can experience. Because Paul loved these guys. And he was very impressed with them. In fact, Paul's joy in the mere thought of the Philippian church is, it's undeniable in the letter when you look at it. You know, he wanted the recipients to possess the very things that he saw in them. He wanted them to possess the very things that he saw lived out there. So to lead them to that truth, his main focus in, throughout the entire book jesus you see because paul understood if if you're going to live in community in a community that can shape your heart in a community that can really change you and in a community that can really call you to all that god has for you if you're going to do that the only way that you're going to be a really a contributing member of that community is to live with the humility that jesus christ did talked about in Philippians 2. You have to approach it like that. If you don't approach it like that, then it's not going to work. And, and you'll never grow and you'll never help others to grow to the extent that they need to. So his letter to the Philippians shows them that by centering their lives on Christ, they can live in true joy. The theme, as we look at kind of the last, the theme of um, the letter, the general theme of the letter is you know, Christ, he's mentioned over 50 times in four chapters. Kind of gives you a clue, you know. I wonder what he's talking about. Yeah, that's it. Paul asserts that you can experience true joy in centering your life in Christ. You can experience true joy in centering your life in Christ. Now, the keys to the general theme are fourfold. Actually, it's summed up in four verses, and they just happen to correspond with the four chapters because what you'll find is as you read, you know, I'm sure the guys, that, that, if you didn't know this, just so you know, when, when God originally inspired the scriptures and they were writing these things, Paul didn't write somebody a letter that said chapter one. No one did that, okay? I mean, no one did that. You know, it was all just a letter. But later on, you know, the chapters and verses, so that people can find things. You're like, where is that? Somewhere in the letter, You know, so uh, they did that so you could find things. But what you'll find is, in these chapters, they divide right along these lines. The first part, the first key is Christ is our life. And the verse that he talks about there in Philippians uh, 121, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go on living, it's with Jesus at the center. And if I die, Jesus is definitely at the center. You know, he says, that's what, I, that's what I'm living for. In the second chapter, he sees it's Christ our pattern, where he says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus in, in Philippians 2.5. And he talks about there, about if you want a model for your life, if you want a pattern for your life, this is what life should look like. Pattern your life after Jesus. Do what he did. Think like he thinks, Value what he valued. Third one, is Christ our goal? And Paul says this in Philippians 3.10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain from the resurrection from the dead. Men and women, Paul wasn't going, you know, I'm still not sure if I'm in or not. That's not what he's saying. It wasn't like, I don't know if I know Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there is so much to God, so much width, so much breadth, so much height, so much depth. There is so much that we don't even know about. He says, oh, that I can know him that I can know him. And that's what he's wanting. And that, honestly, that ought to be the cry of our hearts. The fourth thing is Christ our sufficiency. In Philippians 4.13, you know, if you're an athlete, you know this verse because it's a <laughs> verse you have to memorize if you're an athlete. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, that I'd ever find an athlete that actually knew what that verse meant. Um, that doesn't mean I can win any ball game. That doesn't mean I can, you know, have any any championship. I always, I'm always amused by those in the Olympics. You know, what what caused you to win this gold medal? I was focused. What do you think the other guys were? <laughs> How do you think they got there? You know, what were we doing? I was skipping along one day. Somebody said, "Want to go to the Olympics?" Yeah. Okay. No, no, they were working. But guess what? Only one wins. Only one wins. You see. But what Paul's talking about here is something much, much richer. He says, you know what? Whether it's in much, whether it's in little, whether it's in bad circumstances, whether it's in good circumstances, whether it's in trials, whether it's in great times, I can do all things. Christ is sufficient for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the conclusion. Um, A lot of times, we have so much to be thankful for, so much, but a lot of times, just the pace and pressure of life can really cause the joy to kind of begin to ooze out. Now, you think, pace? How does that affect anything? Well, you know, if Caleb's right here and I say, hey, Caleb, you know, and I, I pull out a bullet out of my pocket and I go, here, you know, and I toss it to him, you know, he's like okay, now if I take that same bullet and put it in a gun, go here, you know, just the pace of that bullet, you know what, he has a much harder time catching it, you know, I mean, he's not thinking, I've got joy, joy down in my heart, he thinks, I've got a 30-06, I mean, it's like, you know, that doesn't feel good, and what you find is this, sometimes just the pace of life can cause the joy to begin to just kind of subside in you. And what you need to do is you need to realize that um, that doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way at all. So over the next four weeks, what we're going to look at is Paul's going to show us through his life and through the life of the Philippians, how do you center your actions, your perspectives, and your thoughts on the person and the pursuit and the power of Jesus Christ? How do you do that? And we're going to begin to look at that and figure out, How do you do that? How do you make that reality? In learning to do so, what we'll do is we'll find out you can begin to experience joy no matter what your circumstances are. And so I don't know about you, but I mean, I am just tickled spitless to be able to see the next four weeks because I think, you know, what God has to say to us out of his word will really help us to begin to live the life. And, and begin to experience the life that God wants us to. So that was the life experienced by the Philippian believers. And it's the life that's available for us today. All we have to do is learn how to live those things just like they did. We'll talk about that over the next four weeks. Let me pray for us and we'll invite the uh, team back up here. Father, thank you that... Um, you were so wise in uh, choosing letters for uh, much of the New Testament. The warmth, the, uh, the wisdom as we read those, how they, uh, how they call us out, how they uh, build us up, how they encourage us how we can go back and read them again and again and again, and each time, afresh and anew, we experience what we did that first time we read them, where we, uh, we recall how much we are loved. We recall how much uh, we love the folks that wrote. We recall, you know, the fact that you can use our lives and you want to because you love us. Oh, Father, I pray that over the next several weeks, you would help us to look with fresh eyes on the things that uh, you want to say through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Father, help us to be wise enough to take those things and uh, live them out. Um, would, you, would you open up our hearts to the things you want to say? And Father... Um, even as Luke talks about it in um, Luke twenty four forty five, 45, would, would you, as you did with those first century believers, would you open our minds to understand the scriptures? Would you help us to do that? And we thank you for what you're going to do there. We pray that in Jesus' name.